Well, good morning, Hilton Head Allen Community Church. I hope you're doing well this morning. I want to thank you so much for being here. Thanks for being here, those of you who are live here. Thanks for those of you who are joining on Facebook Live and online. I'm really glad that you guys are here. We're in week two of our series called Losing My Religion. Yes, yes, that's the name of our series. And as Cynthia said last week, it's all going to be fine. All right, so anyway, it's not going to be too bad. Uh, we are in this series where we're really taking a look at the difference, this massive difference that we don't often see, maybe we don't want to realize, between the idea of religion and then a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's a huge difference. But I think sometimes the, the kind of gravitational pull in our lives is back to that place of uh, you know, abiding by a list of rules and regulations. And so last week we began by talking about how this man by the name of Saul, whose lens we're kind of viewing this series through, this lens we're viewing this series through, this guy by the name of Saul um, was this great Christian killer. And what led him to becoming someone, of, uh, someone who was an extremist and someone who rebelled against God in, in the way that he actually like, took action was really religion. It was perfectionism. It was trying to be as good as he possibly could be. He was striving for a perfect religion. He was trying to be the perfect Jew. And it led him to being someone who was an extremist, as we talked about last week, a, a, a terrorist who, who slaughtered and, and put the order in for the slaughter of many, many, many Christians. And, and so today we're going to talk about, we're going to be talking about several different things, many different things through kind of situations that Paul dealt with. Today is a little bit different um, because, and Saul became Paul, by the way. We're going to talk about how that happened next week. Um, but we're going to be looking at uh, different situations he had. But today um, we're going to be looking at one of the teachings that he gave, one of the lessons, if you will, he gave through a letter he wrote to the church in Rome. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 2. We'll be there in just a moment. But I want to introduce Catherine Reyes. So I'm going to ask for Catherine to come on up here. And um, why don't you give Catherine a big warm welcome. Big Hilton Head Island Community Church warm welcome this morning. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning. Here you go. Handy that. There you go. Um, Catherine is uh, a um, ES, one of our ESL teachers at um, the middle school and also teaches Spanish at the middle school. She moved here when she was 16 from Honduras. And um, I told the, the last crowd, I won't tell you how long ago that was, um, and so, I, but she went ahead and told the last crowd. So anyway, so that's up to you. And this one, so anyway, but uh, moved here from Honduras when she was pregnant, and she was pregnant at the time. And I also forgot to, to mention that she didn't know a word of English when she moved here. And now she is an ESL, an English as a second language uh, teacher in our middle school and teaches Spanish in our middle school and has led along with Viviana Rosario and, and Jesus our ESL program, we're calling it English Learners, which takes place Sunday afternoon between one and three. We started it two weeks ago. Is that right? Two weeks ago. We, we started it and we had two people that first week. And last week we had five people that last week. So this week we'll have 10 or 11, I'm sure. So, uh, and I want to encourage you to get the word out about that. I don't think there's any ESL program happening on Sunday afternoon. Um, so Catherine moved to, from Honduras to
to Hilton Head. She has family here. And um, she and her kids, Alondra and um, little Caleb, have gotten really involved in the life of our church. And um, I'm just thankful for you. And uh, I asked her to share this morning about her religious upbringing, which I know is based a lot on rules and, and things that you had to follow. Tell us what that meant and what that looked like, if you would. Okay. Um, I grew up in a family where um, violence and religion was together. They were together. Uh, basically, in the mornings, um, mornings were dedicated for church, and afternoons were dedicated for uh, fightings, argumentations, and things like that. Um, we used to go to church every Sunday, and we used to have the communion together, and, but as soon as we got home, everything changed. So basically, I see one thing in, at church and another thing my house. Mm. Huge difference that you saw yeah. at home and, and in the culture that you grew up in. It was an adherence to religious rules, going to church on Sunday, looking good, you know, and, and saying the right things, doing the right things, yeah. having communion, and then you'd go home and there was violence and fighting at, at home. And tell us about your salvation experience, how you came to know Christ as your Savior. Okay. Um, I had a Christian church next to my house. And I always wanted to be a Christian since I was little. Um, but I, I remember asking my grandma to give me permission to go to the church. And she was like, no, we're not crazy to change our religion. <laughs> but as soon as I was able to go on my own, I went um, to this church. And I went straight to the pastor. And I asked him, um, well, I, I didn't ask him. I told him, I want to, uh, um, I want to accept Christ as my savior. And he looked at me, and he was like, okay, but he was like, are you okay? Because <laughs> um, I think it's not usual. To no, do. it's very so, unusual. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember that um, I made a prayer, and I became Christian. Mm -hmm. But I, the only explanation that I have is that God chose me since the beginning. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. So she goes into her past. This this man you've never you probably hadn't met him before or, no. or anything. It was my first time visiting that church. She walks into <laughs> a church and she goes to the pastor and says, "I want to pray to receive Christ as my Savior." It's the question we never get, but we always want <laughs> as a pastor. So uh, I would love to have been uh, you know a fly on the wall watching that happen. So um, that is so cool. Now, um, you know, before you became a Christian. Your church background, your religious background was based on rules. We just talked about that. But it was also based on good works, mm -hmm. which is kind of, you know, they're, they're similar, but maybe a little bit different. And um, tell us how that played out. Like, what, how did they, did they try to inspect good works? Like, did they keep an account? Like, how, you know, what, yeah. what did that look like in your religious well, background? Well, my family was really involved in church. Um, and they, they were rich, basically. I remember my grandma had a lot of money, and still has, so she still has. Um, so she was expected to give to the poor people. Um, she um, gave uh, free clothes for kids, free food. She was expected to do a lot of things in order to be part of the church and in order to be accepted by God. Um, and that was the message that she gave me. Um, 
that I had to do things in order to get approved or accepted by someone. In, in this scenario, was by God. So it was kind of um, sad yeah. at some, mm. in some way, because um, that was not really that true message that God wants us to believe. Mm. What have you, so this idea of being accepted by God, so it was good works. I want you guys to hear that this morning. It was good works. That was what equated to being accepted by God yeah. in, your, in your religious background. And I think that's maybe a common yeah. theme among some of our backgrounds. I asked as well. myself so many times why, um, what the purpose of going to church was if my family didn't change. Actually, I remember one, um, one day, one of my auntie, um, and she was part of the uh, women's ministry. She, didn't, she never loved you. And I was like, okay. Um, that was devastating for me, hearing those things from a person who was supposed to um, love you. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But um, I didn't listen to her because in my heart has been always have love for the Lord. And I know that he has something um, different for my life. Wow, isn't that cool? And here you are so many years later and serving the Lord, serving the Lord here, serving the Lord in our public schools in so many ways and doing an amazing job um, at that. Um, tell me what your view now of good works is in terms of like the Christian life. Like how do we, how do we take this idea that the church has taken and run with it and said that it equated to acceptance and righteousness and even eternal life in some cases how do, we, how do we take that and, and, and make it right, you know, in the Christian life? Um, the way that I um, So that religion tells you what to wear, what to say, or in, they don't tell you what to be. Hmm. They tell you what to pretend to be. That's wow. different. Because you need to hmm. pretend to be someone hmm in order to be accepted by that church, by the community, and by God. But now, it's been a journey in my life, but these past three years I have been spending time alone with the Lord, and I, now I see that religion tells you something, uh, religion tells you that you need to do something in return to be accepted by God, but Jesus tells me that I am already accepted in love by Him. Isn't that awesome? That's and incredible. Mm, awesome. And um, I just want to say that one day I heard someone saying, don't die before you're dead. Um, and I just want to say the same thing today. Don't die before you're dead. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. But we need to be careful because that in order to love ourselves, we need to love God first because that way we can uh, be wrong in something, thinking by loving ourselves means that we, need, we deserve everything. <laughs> Remember, this life is a trip. This is temporary and this is not forever. So learn, learn how to love the Lord, ask for guidance. Once you get at that point, you're going to learn how to love yourself. 
And when you get to that point, you're going to learn how to love others. And I'm not saying that um, doing good words is bad. I mean, once we know the sacrifice that God, that Jesus did in the cross for us, we're going to go for it, um, buy it. You know what I mean? Uh, we're going to start loving him the way that he loves us, and then we're going to start helping others. So it's not basically that we need to do something in order to be approved, but we are going to do these things because we love him. That's awesome. That's awesome. Catherine, thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing. Thank you. Thank you. I, I really appreciate her sharing, and um, she wanted you also to know that this was the first time. She's shared in church before out in San Francisco in Espanol. Uh, but this is the first time you've shared in any place. So thank you so much. Great job. We're very, very thankful for you and your family and all that our, our ESL team is doing. And uh, I'm excited to see what God is going to do um, with that. And uh, today, we're, we're going to dive in just for a few minutes. It's not going to be very long today. Some of you are like, yes, lunch. That's great. So uh, anyway, um, but I uh, wanted to take a look at, at a lot of what Catherine said, I mean, I, I was halfway tempted to just go, amen, let's go, we're done, uh, and wrap it up. And same thing with Rob last week. I've loved hearing uh, from uh, some of these folks who, who maybe grew up a little bit of the way that Saul, now called Paul, did. And so just like a movie, we're going to kind of fast forward for a moment in his life. Last week we talked about Saul. We're going to fast forward to where he is now the Apostle Paul, he's now doing God's work. We're going to bounce back and look at his conversion experience next week. Please don't miss next week. But we're going to be taking a look at the tension that he was trying to fight in the church. I think this is so incredibly interesting because things haven't changed too much. Because here's what happens in church, and this is how we get to the point that Catherine is talking about with religion, is that typically what happens is, is people understand that Jesus came to die for them, and they get saved, and then they, they get excited about it, and they realize all they are in Christ. They realize the freedom that they have in Christ. They realize that they should do good works and live for him and not license to sin with uh, take that liberty to an extreme, which we're going to be talking about in a few weeks. But what we do, what all churches seem to do, and what all religions seem to do, and what we as Christians even seem to do, is go back and kind of gravitate towards this magnetic thing um, that says it's all about rules, or it's all about good works, or it's all about a list of do's and don'ts. And so Paul was always trying to defend this idea of this gravitational magnetic pull back to a list of rules. And even though we don't like rules, we don't like rules, do we? As humans, let's face it, we don't like rules. Teenagers, do you not like rules? Do you like rules? No, you don't like rules, okay? Like we don't, none of us like rules. But the thing is, is when it comes to God, rules make it easy. Rules simplify the process. It kind of puts boundaries. It gives check boxes. It kind of like makes it easy. And so Paul was fighting a judgmental type of attitude, specifically in this passage we're going to take a look at here in Romans. I think I said chapter 2, but I really meant chapter 3, uh, that we're going to be taking a look at uh, that he wrote. He was dealing with this because the new Christians were always playing the comparison game. They were always playing the judgmental game. They were always playing the criticizing game from a religious standpoint. And, and we'll be talking about some of those specific things, but there's something that happened as he wrote this letter um, to the church in Rome, 
and, and it kind of makes sense when, when you realize that we're people and we kind of always go back to that gravitational pull to be judgmental. And what was happening was the new Jewish Christians were rising up and, and trying to convince everyone that they were better than the rest. And so Paul, who was a Jew of Jews, who had been radically changed by Jesus, says this in Romans chapter 3. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? And he says, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. All have turned aside, he says. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. No one does good, not even one. And so if there was any question in the church there in Rome of, hey, my, my good works are better than yours and mine's gonna get me to heaven and yours aren't and my good outweighs my bad and that sort of thing, he says, no one does good, not even one. He says, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is in their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And he says this in 19 and 20. He says, now we know whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped, that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being, verse 20 says, will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And so the bottom line of what Paul is saying here is there's not a good work that's good enough. There are not a list of good works that is good enough. There's not enough. And so that's the title of the message is good is never enough. And the problem with religion is religion screams that we're never good enough. But then they just leave it there. They don't tell the rest of the story. They don't tell the truth of the gospel message that we aren't good enough, but Jesus was. And Jesus is. And Jesus always will be. Unless you think sitting there today or maybe watching today that this is something that I, I figured out a long time ago. I've got this down. This is not a problem for me. Just two years ago, three years ago, there was a Pew Research poll that found that 52% of Protestant Christians believe that it takes both good works and faith in Jesus to gain our salvation. I want, you to, I want you to hear that again. 52%, over half of Protestants, if you don't know, that's us, okay? Just clearing that out, all right? Half of the Protestant Christians around the, uh, in the U.S. believe that it takes good works plus the work of Jesus, that it's both and. And so we still have a systemic problem of understanding the fact that good works is a result of salvation, not a requirement of salvation. Something that I believe Catherine so eloquently gave us this morning. 
And so we deal with this thing and we kind of make up in our minds that I, I, you know, I'll never be righteous unless I, I do good works or I'll never be accepted. And she said the word accepted, having no, she didn't know that I was going to use that word accepted. Uh, and, and then we maybe even can't have eternity with God unless we do enough good. And so in these three areas, I want to point out to you this morning that religion, in terms of righteousness, religion says this, our good deeds must outweigh our evil deeds. If we want to be righteous, if we want to be people that, like, are right, that have, you know, that do the right thing, that at the end of our life, the good has to outweigh the bad. I, I, that doesn't make any sense to me. Not from a math standpoint, like I get that part, right? You know, yeah, I can understand the balance of that. I'm talking about the fact that I, I don't know at the end of my life if that's going to happen. Especially when Romans says there's none who are righteous. But see, a relationship with Jesus says this, that we are good enough because Jesus was perfect that we are good enough because Jesus was, per was perfect. Do you realize, Christ follower, I, I want you to hear this today, that the moment that you accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, you put on what's called the robe of righteousness, and it's because you are, uh, Christ is now in you, but the Bible also says is that we are now in him. And because we are found in him, because our identity is in him, we are righteous. And on my worst day, on my worst day, I can say that I'm righteous not because of anything that I've done. In fact, my hands have blood on them. But I can say that I'm righteous because of what he did for me. And if you really think about that fact, that fact alone can be the very thing that gets you through today's problem. 1 Corinthians 1.30, this is the same Paul that we're talking about that was Saul. He said this, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. You see, we are righteous because he is perfect. And if you're here or you're listening and you've never um, you know, become a Christ follower, you can have that righteousness like guilt-ridden thing. We're gonna talk about guilt in a few weeks. We're gonna have this whole idea of not ever measuring up. You can have that put to rest as well. You can have it resolved by finding your place, your position in Christ. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, it's not the work that I do. It's not the work that any of you do or any of us do. It is all about the work of Jesus done in us. That's what it's all about. And then there's the issue of acceptance that Catherine mentioned. She never felt like she could measure up. And that's the way religion makes us feel. It says that we're never good enough, but it never tells the rest of the story. And so religion says essentially that, and in terms of acceptance, that our evil deeds must be undone by good deeds. If I do one evil deed, then I've got to go do something else to make up for that. But a relationship with Jesus says this, that we are fully accepted because Jesus forgave us. Jesus forgave us. 
Jesus forgave us the thing that you did years ago that you forgot about or maybe didn't even know about or can make every excuse in the world about. He forgave you for that. He forgave you for the thing that you did this morning, the fight that you had on the way to church with your spouse, with the kids and, and, and the things that you said that were derogatory last night. He forgave you for that. He forgave you for the things that you'll do today and tomorrow. It's all taken care of. It's all done. Ephesians 1, 7 says, in him. Once again, we find ourselves in him. He in us and we in him. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches in his grace or of his grace. Paul was talking about all the things that we receive as heirs to the throne. <laughs> and one of the things that we receive is forgiveness forgiveness. Again, back to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we may, because of our religious background, and by the way, it doesn't have to be exactly like Catherine's. It might be something different, but it might be the same kind of output, the same application. We have a misunderstanding of righteousness. We have a misunderstanding of being accepted by God. And lastly, and maybe most heavy, we have a misunderstanding of what eternity, what it takes to have eternity with God. You see, religion says our good deeds must augment Jesus' death to gain eternity. You realize that? That's what a lot of religion says, that it's Jesus plus something else, right? But if relationship with Jesus says that we are destined for eternity with God because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that if we put our faith in him, that our eternity is signed, sealed, and delivered, that heaven is sure. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a free gift. The wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we are destined for eternity with God because of Jesus' sacrifice. See, listen, while our good deeds as people, while our good deeds will never be enough, Jesus' death on the cross is full and it's complete and it is more than enough for all of us. It's more than enough for the worst evil deed that you've ever done. And so you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are righteous because Jesus was perfect. That you are accepted because of what he did to forgive us. And we can know that we have eternity. You can know that you have eternity because he has accepted you. In fact, in Romans 11.1, 1, in the first part of that verse, Paul says this. He says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? And he answers with my favorite Paul phrase. He says, by no means. I love that. That's like the ultimate no answer, isn't it? It's like kid, your kids come to you and they're like, hey, can I buy a car tomorrow? By no means. It's not a no. It's a by no means. And that's what Paul says about the question to the question of whether or not God accepts us. Does God not accept us? By no means, he does accept us. 
And so while our good deeds will never be enough, Jesus' death on the cross is full and it's complete and it's more than enough. And for me, I don't know about you, that begs the question. That's why I ask Catherine the question that I ask her at the end. What about good works? What about good? So, Jesus died for us, we can just like let things go, right? Just live how we want. License to just do whatever we want. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. I don't believe so. You see, I think good works are a result of salvation, not a requirement of it. It comes from a place of love, of deep passion for what Jesus did on the cross. 1 John 4.19 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That we were created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so there is this onus, there is this like weight of responsibility on us to do good. But eternity doesn't hang in the balance. And if we think otherwise, we've got it wrong. It's in response to what Jesus has, done, Jesus has done on the cross. Rob said it last week, and Catherine said it again today. 1 John 4, uh, 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. Any other motivation for doing good is misplaced. Tim Keller, a great modern-day pastor and theologian, says, religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. The gospel says, I'm accepted by God through Christ, therefore I obey. Do you see the difference, church? Do you see the difference? It's a difference in motive. It's a difference in theology. And it's a difference in the application of the greatest gift that we've ever been given. And that's the sacrifice of God's own son on the cross for you and for me. You see, religion means do, but relationship means done. Because Christ has done everything, everything that you need to gain righteousness, acceptance, and eternity with him in heaven. That's it. It's done. And so my prayer for us is that we would understand that difference, that we would understand that when we try to do good, to try to measure up, to try to compare ourselves to someone else, to try to outdo what people who have come before us have done, or if we think that our, our salvation or our, our eternity lies in the balance, my hope and my prayer is, is that God would reset that, that he would undo that in our lives. And it applies to those of you who are already Christ followers and those of you who may be listening or you're here because you got dragged here and maybe you weren't really even waiting for a word from God this morning. But something's going on. Something's happening. You realize now you can't do, do good enough. I've heard it said that a license to sin cheapens God's grace. We're going to hit that in a few weeks. But you know, I think that self-reliance for righteousness, acceptance, or eternity cheapens the sovereignty and the work that God did on the cross. It cheapens his forgiveness. And so we as his people should walk in that forgiveness. 
we should walk in the price that he paid for us. I'm going to ask Stephanie and the band to come on up here this morning, and I want you to consider that, that thought, that concept. And I want you to ask yourself, are you trying to do good for any other reason than out of a, a, a deep love and passion for Jesus? Are you trying to do good works because in some way you think that that might add up better than Jesus' death on the cross when you get to heaven? Are you trying to do good works because there's been guilt laid on you by people in your past? It's time to shed that. It's time to remove that. It's time to fully lean in to what Jesus did on the cross, the forgiveness that he offered you and me. And it's time for us as Christians to walk in that freedom with power and strength like we sang about earlier. Maybe today you're here and there's something that you're hiding deep within your life, something that's kind of in the shadows, it's in the dark that is keeping you from really truly understanding and walking in this idea of full acceptance by God righteousness from God and the hope of eternity forever because of what he did on the cross Stephanie's going to sing this song and I'm going to ask you if you would just to stay where you're seated and allow this song as a prayer just to cover your lives over these next few minutes would you just be open to God's Holy Spirit working in your life Father I pray that you would be with us now that as we listen to the song, God, that we would come out of hiding, that we would run to you, that we would walk in the fullness of the grace and the forgiveness that you gave us. God, that we would stop trying to do things for ourselves, by ourselves. We would walk understanding all that you did for us on the cross. And now Stephanie sings, Father, I pray that we would Listen to your Holy Spirit on, in terms of what that means for us individually. Whether it means we change our journey with you, or maybe it means that we accept you as our Savior. We stop trying to gain heaven and let you bring us home. Thank you, Father, for these words, this song. I pray that you would use it to minister to us right now. In Jesus' name.